Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Cloud Architects Podcast. Excited once again to be joined by my co-host, Nicholas Blank. Hi, Chris. It is an exciting day to be here. I think we've got a, a super exciting topic and actually a bunch of topics that we're going to open a, a can of worms on. And I'm excited for the show. And I sound a little bit more commercial than I, I, I need to. It's not meant to be a commercial thing. But yes, I'm, I'm super stoked about our guest. And I'm just going to go ahead and introduce Michael van Hoerenbeek. And Michael, if you don't know him, follow him on Twitter at Van Hybrid. He is worth following. He has great opinions and he's very clever. So Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks, Nicholas. Thanks, Chris, for having me. And, and we've um, had you we've had you on here before. So fortunately, you know, you're a returning guest. You're an you know, old hand at this Cloud Architects podcast thing. Um, but also, hey, before we get kicked off, congratulations to both of you. We've just gone through MVP renewal. And you too. Um, and great to have, I'm, you know, I'm humbled and honored as anyone, everyone would say to be <laughs> part of the community again for, for another year. Yes. But I, you know, I know that you guys also put in a lot of, uh, a lot of work over the year to, to kind of be part of that. So, you know, congrats on the, on the renewals. And I think, I think for both of you, it's kind of well over 10 now. So um, pretty, pretty big achievement. Uh, and uh, you know, Yeah. I don't like to point it out, but Michael's pretty old. <laughs> And with that being said, our first topic is going to be, uh, no, uh, as, as you said, right, uh, every year again, um, maybe worth spending one moment, uh, because I, I regularly don't blast it out there, like I'm humbled and honored, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Um, but every year again, it, it's an exciting time, right? Um, mm. Because you put in a lot of time and effort, and it is something that is water to you. So you never know whether or not you're going to get it. Um, and despite the fact that it's not something you, or I, I, I try and, and, and achieve as a goal by itself. It's also always nice to get that recognition from others. Um, so yeah, thanks first of all, and also congrats to both of you. Um, and I, I well think said. I just quoted Nicholas because you wrote a post like that on LinkedIn, yes. wasn't it? Yes, my LinkedIn post yeah. was about how scary it was to hit refresh on that day. Uh, and it yes. doesn't matter how long you've been doing this stuff. It's still, have I done enough? And the bar is so high and it's not about mm -hmm. the award, but I'm really going to miss it if, if I didn't make it. And it actually means a lot. It means a lot to us to do this community stuff. And, and Chris and I actually have debated this at length with each other in terms of why are we doing this and would we do the podcast if we're MVPs or not? And for both of us, it was, oh yeah, we, we do this because we love doing it. Mm -hmm. And we have the advantage of speaking to amazing guests, hanging out together and geeking out together, which is the basis of community, I would imagine. Yeah. Absolutely. And I would add on top of that, not to start reminiscing about the past, given my old age. Um, but And he is pretty old, folks, I just have to say. <laughs> uh, so kind, Nicholas. Um, uh, Basically, is it, it, it's, it creates a community, right? Uh, it's like the the Rangers back in the day. Um, you were brothers because um, we all went through the same thing. But through the MVP program, having been part of it over over a decade now, I've met a lot of folks. I've I've made new friends. Um, I'm counting you as as those as well because we met through the program. Yeah. And um, it's great to know that you know you know people all, all over the, the world that you can talk to anytime, uh, reach out to anytime regardless of the, the the program and that was a side benefit that i never would have imagined but i really really value 
Yeah. Agreed. And, you Agreed. Know, a perfect example is that the last time Mike and I saw each other was in Tel Aviv, right? We, we, we had lunch in Tel Aviv. Uh, was the last time we saw each other in person. So it really is um, this. It, it's an int- it's a great part time of year when we when we kind of work through this. Obviously, I think everyone's nerves, but you know, um, we we're I think we're all happy and and you know excited to be part of it again. And and here we go for the next year. And and you know, let's do what we do. Um, Chris, I just wanted to to reminisce, if I may, for a second, yeah. because I realize, and I think Michael, you. I think I quoted you on this number. So the, the three of us all went through the Ranger program and the three of us all MVPs. And that means we are one of, what, what was the number? Was it eight folks in the world that were both MVPs as well as MCMs? I think between five and eight. There were not a lot of them that I, I know. I know three of us. There was um, the Brian. Yes, Brian, oh, definitely. not the Brian. Brian's, yeah, not the Brian. Brian was awarded after, but he yeah. is now, yes. Yeah. Really? Okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, around eight, maybe 10 tops, so. That's astounding. Well, uh, for, for those of you on the show who don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the Microsoft Certified Master Program, which we devoted a considerable part of our life to, which mm. was very sadly retired by Microsoft in a very unfortunate and very corporate fashion, very um, quickly on a Friday afternoon on what appeared to be the, the back of a spreadsheet decision. And um, of course, it massively affected our, our careers because we, at minimum, invested close to a month of our life in Redmond, in labs, not seeing our families and and doing very, very hard things. And this is what Michael was talking about in terms of suffering together, Mm -hmm. because it really created a brotherhood. And I know that there is something because of this whole program that we went through together with both Chris and Michael, that we, we can call in each other from a shared trust point of view, because it was so hard to, to do this thing. So, let me um, get off my rocking chair and <laughs> hand back over is, to is, you, Chris. Is always fun, and I, you know, and I, uh, I thank you guys. But I think from one announcement, MVPs, uh, to I guess another announcement that that we've kind of just experienced or, or lived through, uh, which is which is the, the the whole you know rest in peace Azure AD announcement, um, and uh, you know come on or, or you know <laughs> Microsoft uh, Enter ID right, and and I think. Mm. That's that's a fairly topical thing at the moment. A lot of folks are kind of, you know, having their opinions about renaming of products and things like that. And I'll admit, I think it's a pain whenever Microsoft rename things. But I do think that whole announcement, people have taken or latched onto the wrong thing. Uh, you know, the, the the announcement included a lot more information than just the renaming of, of Azure AD. And Mike, I know you got some some opinions on that. Do you want to kind of run us through what was announced and 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 how we can or will benefit from it? Of course. Well, first of all, there is the rebranding, renaming, um, the marketing gimmick of moving away from Azure AD to Microsoft Entra ID, which we all saw coming, but hoped they would never do it again because now I have to go and update 800 pages in a book, which I really don't want to for the nth time in in the lifetime of the book. But uh, yeah, sure. So new name, same products, nothing else, quote unquote, changes um, for that from that perspective. Um, yes, I am opinionated. I understand the move. I see how it makes sense, how it takes away some confusion from people that are not uh, familiar with um, you know, the whole history of Azure AD and stuff. But 
again, um, wrong time, really wasn't necessary, could have done it differently, just you know, my two cents. Um, what I'm a little bit um, disappointed about is that they made that announcement in the worst possible way. Um, they they kind of collided it with announcing two more products, right? So Microsoft moving into the secure service edge or SASE market with um, central private access and um, uh, internet access. Um, but they also do it on the same day that, you know, that the news said, hey, Microsoft has led of, uh, again, so many people. So it's kind of all thrown in together. So people tend to stick to the, the things that hurt the most, like rebranding or the fact that people got laid off. Um, they're missing the fact that there's you know, a whole new market that Microsoft is trying to get into, an important market from a security perspective. Um, and sure, people were very quick because I read some of the responses to my Twitter feed on, hey, here's my thoughts. And everyone's like, oh, this is missing and this is missing and this is missing. So the other ones are still better. Um, but the, we, we all know Microsoft, right? Once they commit to something, version one may not be the best, but you can pretty darn well be sure that version two, two and a half or version three are going to be really mm. good or at least mm. up to par with everyone else. And that that's the yeah. point, right? I think that's a, I mean, that's a good point, right? We've seen so many examples of that in the past. I think Intune was a great example of that as well. Um, I think it's still called Intune, isn't it? I mean, again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also think that what we find with the rename is that for the most of us, I think we've all been through this often enough now where we're probably... We'll just continue to keep calling it Azure AD just because that's, you know, when you've been doing and working with the same thing for more than a decade and and that's what the name is. Like it just, you know what I mean? So unfortunately, I see how you're going to have to update your uh, your book. And, and I know I've already had some customers reach out to me about some marketing and branding stuff that they know mm. that they were like, are you kidding? Are we really going to have to go and update all of this? I'm like, yep. Well, if you want to be factual and accurate and at least seem to be you know, in the in uh, staying up to date with things, then yes, you're going to have to go and update it. But will the industry continue? Uh, you know, all of a sudden change all of the like. Will, will everyone now start talking about Enter ID? I don't think that's going to happen overnight. Probably we'll not. See, but... Like we did with, I mean, how I kept calling it Intune even when it wasn't Intune, and now it's back to Intune, right? So <laughs> I think we're going to see probably some of that uh, uh, happening again anyway. But but you're right. I think that them stepping into that market, though, I think that's going to. That's going to solve a lot of problems for a lot of customers, especially with this whole work from home culture that we have. Um, so it's going to be exciting to see kind of how that all plays out and, and um, you know, uh, mm. getting into it, getting into the nitty gritty of it all be, be, be quite interesting. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Nick. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, Michael, for our, our folks who are not so much into the, the networking space, if you don't mind just defining what Microsoft actually just has done and... Um, who they are competing with in terms of upsetting the Apple cart. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, Saucy Secure Service Edge, um, you know, kind of all marketing terms, um, zero trust network access kind of stuff, uh, throw them all together. Uh, so Microsoft basically has two offerings here. Um, one of them is private access, basically outside in traffic, um, where they're going to provide a security solution or a, a, a way of doing that. Um, you, you could compare it, and this is very high level, the app proxy on steroids. Um, that's kind of how I want to look at it. Rather than just proxying an application, they're going to proxy uh, network traffic at large with firewall capabilities and, and, and all sorts of, of goodies. Uh, that, so that's the private access thing. Then there is the internet access. That's the inside out um, uh, traffic. Uh, flows that are going to be secured, basically a secure web gateway on steroids at some point, right? 
Um, that, that's, we had that's... some of that with Defender, right? So now that we have that as part of uh, Intra, isn't that a little bit confusing? So when do I use this Defender thing that I use or that I own already with my E5? And let's get away from the bundling. But I have some in Defender and I have some... Uh, web controls now as part of Intra. So how do I work with the confusion around that? So when you take a look at the web content filter that's in um, Defender, it is just that, right? A web content filter. Nothing more, nothing less, um, nothing fancy. Um, but it does what it needs to do as long as your device is Defender onboarded, uh, basically kind of limits where you can use it. Um, internet access or a secure web gateway in theory, it works independently of the device and or not the device, but is, is more on the network layer, plus also has other capabilities, right? Um, so as we progress, I imagine that they're going to, and by there, I mean, Microsoft's going to uh, chase similar functionality as what we see with competitors like Zscaler, Netscope, and all, all that stuff, where they have a comprehensive set of, of, of security controls, which may include DLP, which includes a secure web gateway, uh, content filtering, obviously, but mm -hmm. at a much more granular level. And, and we're using Zscaler internally, so I'm just basing myself off, you know, that's a feature set they have to compete with in order to be relevant. Mm -hmm. So at some point, I expect some all more features to to be available in, 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 in that product that Microsoft is building as well, both from a private access as from an internet access perspective. Um, now, the, it's not so much that they're doing something really innovative, right? Um, they're just tying it, it into their ecosystem, um, which kind of makes sense, um, but underlyingly, they actually solve one, or the promises to solve one big problem, that's token theft, right? Which has, mm -hmm. is, has been hitting the market more and more, these adversary in the middle or man in the middle type of attacks, where um, people can actually not just steal your credentials, but also your MFA token, um, is super common. Like year over year through our SOC, we've, we've seen a 70, 80% increase in these types of attacks, successful attacks basically rendering the MFA that Microsoft has been yelling at for everyone for, hey, you have to do this to be more secure, basically rendering it you know, useless. Um, so using a web gateway, you can actually make sure that there is less room for phishing and so forth and so on. Sure, you could say that FIDO2 is, is the key to everything, but we're far from a passwordless FIDO2 world, unfortunately. Um, so I think, It'll it'll be able to solve all sorts of of of, of problems. Um, um, except, the only thing, yeah. Except we we've just had the um, this week. Of course, is also the the week of not only the intro announcements. There's also been the write up about uh, Storm zero five five eight, which is um, hasn't got a a, a normal. Well, sorry, in terms of the. Microsoft naming taxonomy is still a threat actor that is being um, tracked, but a Chinese nation state sponsored group because of the name Storm and 0558 means um, there's still some naming to happen. However, the nature of this attack was that a authorization key was obtained, taken, stolen, somehow supplied from inside Microsoft. If we Depends on how we read the Washington Post and the New York Times and uh, you know the write-up about that. And 25 customers were affected. And of course, Microsoft managed to shut that down. But if we're talking about token theft, that's pretty hard to defend against when you're missing a key from the inside. Um, 
Yeah, no, sure. Um, <laughs> first of all, um, I'm not going to say hearsay, but um, I'm careful uh, casting spells on, 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 on certain things I read. Um, but yes, you are absolutely right. I mean, um, regardless of which type of attack and how much, how much effort you put in, right? There's all, always, at least for now, uh, unless we're all replaced by AI at some point, um, but there's always a human factor. And you can build walls, you know, yay high and yay thick um, if people keep doing things they shouldn't be doing, whether it is with malicious or, you know, good intent, doesn't really matter, right? You can make a mistake. Um, then we can build um, anything, it, it won't work, right? There's rarely a good technological solution to remediate uh, bad human behavior. Um, so we're going to just have to deal with that. And all you can do, and th again, uh, now I'm off on a rant. Um, <laughs> it is, it, that, that's why we have stuff like the cybersecurity framework from NIST, right? I, I love it because it's so simple to explain. Dear people, um, it doesn't matter how much you protect. If you don't do anything in the other phases, in the other activities, you're going to be, you know, in, in heaps of trouble. So assume breach, you know, you can't protect everything. So you can prevent token theft that you can't prevent in malicious insiders. I mean, you, you can have a bad luck, the back, bad streak of luck, but then make sure that you detect what's happening, that you know that it happened, that you can respond, you know, adequately and fast enough in order to, you know, um, not remediate, but well, remediate, but to 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 lower the impact to make sure that it doesn't spread as far. And as long as you keep to the, that principle where you work in all these phases, you've got a well-balanced security approach. And I think this is exactly what Microsoft quote unquote demonstrated. Mm -hmm. um, even them can't prevent someone from doing stuff they shouldn't be doing because of you know massive scale, whatever it is. But at the very least, they were able to de detect that it happened um, relatively quickly and respond to that yes. adequately. I think you know that's. Um, a token of uh, segue. Uh, that's a token of good, um, good cybersecurity management. So, I agree, and I think I think the other part of that is is again is making sure that you continue to evolve your user education and cyber readiness from a user perspective, right? And I think that's the other part where a lot of organizations fall down um, is is that is is that users don't always understand the things that the consequences of the things they do, mm. and. I don't think that we do a good enough job of educating them and keeping them up to date and keeping them educated with, as threats evolve, right? Usually for most organizations, it's this once yearly checkbox where, well, hey, Johnny hasn't done uh, the cybersecurity awareness training for this year yet. Come on, go and, go and do it. And then the videos are like from 1999 and they show some guy, you know what I mean? So I think that's... Um, uh, I think that's part of it too, but I, I agree. It's it's you have to be balanced, and you have to look at it from all aspects. You can't just attack one side of it. So, unpopular opinion, but can we actually though? Um, and it's not just the the well balanced approach that we we can and we should, mm. um, which we're, we're going to segue into that in, in just a minute, and that's mm. going to be a real rant. Um, but um, <laughs> the, the 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 cybersecurity awareness, right? Um, I mean. How well can you train someone to um, to detect something that they should not be clicking on or downloading or opening um, when even trained IT professionals sometimes have a hard time distinguishing you know fake from real? Um, despite the attack simulator and all the phishing source solutions that are out there and videos that tell people you shouldn't do this and pay attention to that. I see a lot of people just look at that, like you know, a car looking at a train passing by and be like, I have no clue what this means. I, I mean, I'm not trained for this. I, 
don't care technically. I, I care from a security perspective, but I don't care technically. It evolves that quickly. Mm. So I'm more and more starting to believe that all the effort that we're putting in is just to get that checkbox, but I'm not sure if it actually brings a lot of value because- That's I, fair. I, I mean, I can see your point. I can see your point, but I do think that one, I think generally our user population are starting to become a little bit more aware of what's going on, right? So for one, the media coverage of attacks, and especially here in Australia, we see so much media coverage of um, these breaches and, and attacks and things. They're starting to understand in their personal lives what it means to have your data lost as you know through a breach. Because again, to use the Australian example, a lot of them have lost health, health information. A lot of them have lost passport data, driver's license stuff in some big attacks or breaches that we've had recently, right? So I think folks are starting to, we're starting to see this shift where non-technical mm -hmm. people, just that your, your, you know, your information workers, they're starting to actually understand a little bit about the impacts of what happens when, when there's a breach. So, so there's that. I think also they're becoming, and I won't say overly, but I think definitely more aware of things like MFA and and password um, managers and things like that than ever before, right? And again, mm -hmm. I don't think we're there yet, but I think people are starting to understand the need for a for MFA. It's not it's no longer that thing that's an inconvenience or that you know it's 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 actually helpful. Um, and password managers in the same bucket. So I think we're we're at that sort of precipice where we are there. And I think as from an organizational perspective, if we can join the dots for them to say if you be aware of what you do, and it's not necessarily always about identifying a link or not clicking the link. I mean, I think obviously we know that that's the biggest um, attack vector and that's that's the most valuable thing, right? Is if you can get someone to make sure, I get that. But help, help them be aware of things like, if you're gonna take a selfie in front of your desk, don't have all the spreadsheets of all the patient data open on your screen, right? Because when that information gets, that's a breach. We've never taken the time to explain that to people, right? A clean desk policy, or we've all, it's always been, a, we, we go about it with a big stick saying, hey, we walked around the office last night and there was all these documents around. That's against the, against the policy. That's not the way to teach people things, right? If you walk around and you say, hey, well, we picked up this information. This information is patient data for Jane. Um, I shouldn't be reading this. You know what I mean? I think... And I think that's kind of where I'm getting at is if we can get to a point where our users can actually understand the consequences of the things that they do, um, we may have a little bit more success in trying to prevent some of these some of these attacks, right? Um, is it going to be perfect? It's never going to be perfect. And again, organizations are not going to invest tons of money into something that, that is only going to step them up just a little bit, right? You'd rather take that money and give it to your sock uh, right? in many instances. So... I think it's a very interesting conversation, a very interesting discussion. But I, I definitely hear your point as as to like, is are we are we fighting a losing battle, right? Because maybe we are. From a user awareness perspective, it sometimes feels yeah. like that. Yeah. That regardless of the time and, and effort and money you spend on solutions and training whatsoever, it just keeps happening. And and again, I don't I don't blame people, right? I mean, it is hard, and mm -hmm. the precipice of of having having AI uh, craft even better content that is even harder to detect is not going to improve anything mm -hmm. for anyone. But yeah, so it's, it's a much broader. I discussion. just had my third of the week, my third email of the week 
from someone who hacked my systems and has had a tro remote Trojan has been watching everything that I watch. On t <laughs> and I was like, how bored are you, man? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, those like, please send me $600 in Bitcoin or else I will release all my information, all your information. <laughs> it's, yeah, there's, so funny. there's wild content out there. Um, yeah. But interestingly, though, you know, running a stalker ourselves, right? I think the majority, if not all, of the, the breaches that we that we see or you know that we have to intervene with, they start with some sort of phishing. Some of them more blatantly obvious than than others. Um, mm -hmm. But it's just astonishing how that keeps to be the number one way of getting into an environment. And then after that, uh, and I'm not talking about the targeted attacks or the ones that are really after you know, bringing down your infrastructure, mm. but the the broad amount of of daily yeah. attacks that we see is just phishing, getting to a mailbox, sending more phishing, getting more people to do stuff. It's just interesting um, how that that business, because it is a business, keeps being such a big business. It's after all these years, it's interesting. Yeah. Anyway. So I think that that it segues into an interesting point, right? That that I've been wanting to sort of dig into for, for a little while, which is We've been doing things as far as managing our infrastructure. For the most part, I think we've been many organizations have been doing the same things forever, right? You you know, if you if you if you consider yourself mature, then you have uh, segregated credential logins for your admins. So you know you don't use your your day-to-day -day email account to log into systems, right? Generally, and you have MFA on that. And so, you know, for the longest time that's been considered a mature security practice from, from an administrative perspective. But, you know, and, and we're seeing this world now where, where things like, you know, privileged access management and just-in-time access are becoming more widely used. But I, I would say that still it's not, it hasn't quite gained the traction, I think, that it should have. And I don't know about your the regions of the world, but certainly where I'm at, I don't see every customer using PIM, right? More than likely, it, it's a, the reason they're not using it, and I'm talking about the feature, is because maybe they're not licensed for it in many instances, but I'm not seeing a lot of, of it. But it got me thinking about things like that, and then, then you think about things like something like a privileged access workstation um, and, and sort of tier zero configurations and segmentation. And I thought, you know, even less organizations are, are using that. I mean, sometimes, you know, if you, you work with healthcare organizations, you might come across that type of stuff, banking maybe. But I'm I'm not seeing I'm not seeing as much of it as I as I would expect. And so I thought, you know what, I, I think this is the perfect thing to to kind of ask Michael is, you know, is are we do these things compete with each other? If I if I have an organization and I'm using PIM, separate accounts and PIM. Right, so my admin account ordinarily has no permissions assigned to it, and only when I need it, I get elevated into the role that I need for the task that I'm doing. Right, is that good enough for me to be secure, or do I need to also be doing those tasks and those activities, my admin activities, through um, only through a privileged access workstation, which is you know a separate workstation that gets refreshed every day or whatever? where's the line where at what point are we just getting so ridiculous with trying to be secure that we can actually no longer function and and actually keep you know keep the environment running i mean i'd love to get you guys thoughts on that and i figured that that would be a really good debate for 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 today so that uh, this is a topic dear to me i've been uh going out about privileged access workstations and just you know basic operational hygiene um mm. for for a while and uh, 
I mean, the security guy in me wants to say, you need everything all the time. Use it, right? But relatively speaking, it really depends, right? Um, and it depends on so many things, like the your environment, your budget. You're not going to blow your entire budget into creating a privileged access workstation if you haven't done any of the other stuff right, right? You don't, you know, go close the window if the door is wide open, close the door first, right? Put in a, a decent lock, do all the certain things. And then at some point along the line, you're going to have to do certain things um, like introducing a privileged access workstation um, for global admins. To me, that is a no brainer. I'm like, you know, there is no reason why you should not use that for a global admin. I can deal with the fact that you do Teams admin, even though they can do a lot of damage as well on non-privileged access workstations, ideally do them as well, but you know, there is all sorts of, of gray zone. Um, but at the end of the day, the problem is not technology. The problem is IT people. We are our own problem. And for the reason, um, and the an analogy I usually make when I try and explain this to, to, to customers is, whenever you go to a construction yard, right, all construction workers are in most countries, required by law to put on this yellow hat, right? Hard hat, um, mostly yellow, but sometimes blue, red, whatever. And they do that for their own protection. So when they walk around a construction yard, which may be full of perils, they don't bump their heads into anything whatsoever. It's in order to keep them safe. Privileged access workstations are our yellow hat. It's the one that we need in order to protect what we're doing, our administrative activity. There should be a law requiring things like that. Not just this is a regulation like best practices, this should be a law where we are working in our construction yards day in, day out, at the very least, there are certain things that we need to do. Splitting administrative permissions, like we've, we just came out of an incident response um, where regular day-to-day -day account was also global admin. It just gets to me, it's like, how on earth? What did you think of doing it that way, right? That just, it's wrong at so many levels. Um, just make it a requirement. Like, don't make it even possible to, to have an account that has a global admin or any high-level administrative privileges um, and be your day-to-day -day account that you use for surfing and web content and God knows what. And it's not just, you know, Entra ID. <laughs> uh, it's also on-premises Azure AD, right? Uh, oh, sorry, there we go. <laughs> on-premises Active Directory. Um, right. Same thing. Don't use your day-to-day -day account to be a domain admin. Like, just don't. Um, so the, the tiered administration model however small you start with it, right? I'm not saying that you should have tier zero, one, and two um, and from, from the get-go, but at least have separation of admin, non-admin. And, and I, I'd be happy if you have that already. Um, sure, you'll have two accounts and two passwords. And worst case scenario, you have one day-to-day -day account. You have one domain admin on-premises. You have one global admin in the cloud. So that's three accounts. Big whoop, use a password solution if you, if you have a hard time remembering your own passwords. Or better, use a FIDO key if you connect to the cloud so you don't have to remember your password. But every time you go in, into a customer and you tell them this is what you should do, IT is like, oh, it's going to make our lives harder and we're going to have to type my password more. I don't care. Uh, honestly, I really don't care. So that actually brings up a few other questions uh, around, especially when we look at M365 um, and, and managing M365, right? Because I think there are a lot of sort of schools of thought here. So keen to get your opinion on this. So admin accounts for M365 slash Azure, right? You are you seeking those from your on-prem or are you creating cloud only? What, what's the, my, my advice to customers, and I'll tell you what I've, what I've always believed, 
my advice has always been that they're separate cloud-only accounts on on the tenant domain, not on your custom domain, right? That's what I've always felt was the best because one, if you are using some sort of federation tool or something like that, federated identity, you're not going to have an outage from an admin perspective when something breaks uh, or goes down on your federation um, because you're on you're tied to the cloud-only domain and using Entra ID, Azure AD auth, right? Um, so that's always been my my thing. But keen to get your thoughts, Nick. You also like what? Is that what you guys think, or do you guys think that there's an argument for syncing those admin accounts from on-prem? Keen to wow. hear what Nick has to say. So <clears throat> one of the things I, I get to get all soapboxy and preachy about is how do we deal with tenant compromise? And one of the things that we do in terms of preparing for breach, because we do understand to Michael's point earlier that we prepare for breach because we are responsible adults and there's no such thing as impervious technology to anything, especially when there's human error or even just best intent involved. So the thing about being able to recover from breach is that you have a, <clears throat> excuse me, you have a path of preparation. So that path of preparation includes if my on-premises active directory is compromised, what is my path to recovery should my tenant be compromised or on the path of compromise? And we know that on most successful Office 365 tenant breaches or M365 tenant breaches, depending on the licensing, there is a on-premises component that includes a escalation of privilege into cloud. Now, without a cloud-only account, Assuming that you've been locked out of your tenant, how do you get your tenant back? And their answer is you don't. Fair point, right? Um, so, so you actually can get back into your tenant if you're locked out. I've tried it um, once. Took me a week and a half uh, going you through support. You can, yes. Well, no, it's it's regular support. I didn't use any of the the. Hey, I know someone over there that may be able to help That's me. Fair. So I, I I rang up support and was like, I'm going to go through this process. It was painful process. I I just had to feel the pain. Uh, but at least now I know what you can do. And I mean, it's good that there is it, there is a process. There is a whole verification process of making sure that you can prove that it's your tenant and blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. So if you lock yourself out or you are locked out, then there are emergency ways. If you can prove it's your tenant, and there are ways to prove that it, it's, your it's not an emergency way if it's a week and a half of process, right? Hence, why um, I do agree eighty percent with what you said. It's you know, it's it's not a good, it's not a, 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 a it's not a good process to trust and wait for a week and a half to get back in because you know it's, it's going to cost. Final resort, right? Yeah. Mm. Well, well, you you should never ever 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 get into that situation because if you did, then you know things went wrong at so many levels. Um, now, never say never. So it's good that there is a way of getting in. And I'm pretty sure that depending on the size of your organization, because I'm, I, you know, I use it in my test tenant, so the value to Microsoft was close to zero. Um, but I imagine that if you have a certain, you know, financial impact and you go to them, you tell them, I need access to my tenant, I was locked out and do it now. There are prob probably faster ways to get in, right? Uh, again, haven't tried them, will not, um, will not even advise anyone to try that. Um, but that's just what I, what I believe is going to happen. But um, 
you you kind of mentioned it, and I'm not the one to start quoting marketing material, but last uh, last year at the experts conference in Atlanta, uh, Alex Simmons was there, um, and during his keynote, he actually shared those same numbers, and we can confirm that those numbers are correct, right? Most of the breaches happen on premises. Now, um, why? Consider the fact that Active Directory has been around for more than two decades. It's 23-year-old technology, um, and you know, in essence, right? It has evolved with Windows and has been become a little bit more secure, yada yada. But the principle of Active Directory is still exactly the same as 23 years ago. It means that attackers have had 23 years to hone their skills breaching that on-premises environment. That is also why we still get involved in you know, pen test results where they said, yeah, we got domain admin after six minutes. I'm like, how is that even possible? Mm-hmm. You know, you'd expect after 23 years of experience, the blue team side of things are becoming better at securing that thing. But reality is, is that the skill gap is now switching. Where mm-hmm. um, I remember diving into Office 365, 2009. I was like, yay, cloud, I'm going to go there. And everyone's like, you're crazy. Um, um, no, everyone's like, yeah, good choice. I, I worry about what's, what's happening on premises that mm-hmm. Active Directory still going to be there for a while. Like for a foreseeable future, we're going to have to deal with it. Um, and Nick, I'm, I'm sure you have the same problem. If not, tell me your secret. But um, hiring people, I hire lots of smart folks, young folks. They're all up in the cloud, the cloud. Cloud shiny, cloud new, cloud yay. But then, you know, I, I talked to them. So there is this thing, Active Directory. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I can say it's it's not Entra. It's AD. Um, <laughs> it uses Kerberos, and they're like, the what? Um, like, yes. you know? my day. <laughs> <laughs> when we but, well, CDs. <laughs> you know, a certain age starts to be beneficial. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they look at it and be like, we don't know what how to deal with this. And um, they... So in our SOC, we have a running gag, um, but you know, for certain engagements, they call in the dinosaurs. They're like, yeah, we need a dinosaur um, because we need someone who understands AD, um, typically related to the age of that person. But it is becoming a problem because if we see that problem, I'm pretty sure that organizations face that same challenge and they don't have the skills anymore to properly manage. So any link you create between that thing on-premises and the cloud is one link too many. I completely and agree. The reality is, I mean, you know, I can I can share. I mean, most of the most of the security and security assessment work that I've been doing, like you guys, anything that I've gotten involved in from a compromise perspective, has always in recent times has been on-prem compromise into the cloud, right? Because everyone is spending so much of their energy and effort securing the cloud that they forget that the back door is still open and, you know, in AD and on-prem. Um, so I, I, I completely see that as well. But I also, a lot of the work I've been doing over the last 12 to 18 months has been just looking at old ADs to, and helping customers try and secure those because some customers have realized like, hang on, we have some exposure over here. Like we're still managing this thing the way we were managing it back in the day because it's a it's set and forget, isn't it? Like if you create and de- provision and deprovision your user accounts, what else is there? Well, yeah, there's a lot of things that you should be and could be doing. So I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's a that's a very very strong lesson, right? I just want so, to point something out here in terms of um, the three of us 
would, from a de-risking point of view, always point towards a, a best practice, an article, a KB article. In since we, we all come from the exchange world, we were ardent disciples of the preferred architecture. So we would know and understand why something is the way that it is, and of course know where to find it in terms of the reference documentation. Now we in 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 my practice we had a um a customer who demanded an Active Directory redesign based on breach. And we internally, of course, when I assigned an engineer, needed to point to some best practices in terms of how do we design these things, right? And uh, what does the documentation say? I so this is going. <laughs> yes. And if, if you look at the, the um, Active Directory or the ADDS design and planning page, it applies to, it starts with Windows Server 2022, and it ends with, at least it's been updated, Windows Server 2012. So to Michael's well, point... hasn't been updated in a very It hasn't time. been updated, yeah. and we still have this thing of a forest as a security boundary. We don't talk about attacks that can flow across trusts, and how do we defend against that? What was available from Microsoft in terms of secondary administration forests with a lot of glue and prayer to abstract the administration from one forest to the other forest is still in place. There's no better way to do it. And this takes us very much into poor territory or privileged access workstation on uh, a territory on premises. But it's actually not enough when... I can point to customers that don't believe me to YouTube. And I can say, this is how you do, talk about token theft, uh, a token theft in three minutes based on a share that you find publicly accessible on a domain controller. There's this thing called SysVol, and I start glazing over because it's too much technical detail. But to Michael's point, we have technology that the guidance hasn't been updated significantly since 2012. Mm -hmm. And the security guidance is um, is worthless. And you, Chris, you and I have interviewed folks on this show who are highly motivated, highly paid. And we have the, uh, the, the common, I don't want to say common, we have the normal administrative person who is defending themselves with a pair of lawn shears or, or uh, nail clippers against a well-armed SWAT team that are highly paid and highly motiv motivated to get into something that they don't understand anymore in terms of how do I defend my on-premises act directly? Because, you know, I've got a backup. And, and what's interesting too is last time I looked into this, there wasn't a Microsoft solution for MFA on-prem, Right. If you want to MFA, put MFA on your servers so that at least, let's say your domain controllers require MFA if someone's logging onto them, well, what's the, what's the Microsoft answer? Like there isn't a story for that, right? You've got to look at Duo or something like that. Why am I missing it? Missing something? Yeah, well, you know, there is a thing called smart card authentication. It's true. And it's very easy to implement though. It, it, well, <laughs> I mean... Technically, there is a 2FA solution in order to do that. Now, you know, talking about how far is too far, um, mm. that may be one of the things that is just, you know, 
just way too far. Now, then again, if you really, 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 really are concerned about that, it may be the one thing you have to do in order to properly protect access to your domain controllers or other servers. I mean, it is a trade-off, uh, the Pareto principle, don't blow 80% of your budget on 20% of security, right? Um, try to do it the other way around, take 20% of your budget and solve 80% of your problems. Because it's not about preventing everything you can't, right? The insurmountable wall does not exist. Um, it's more about making sure that you make it as hard as possible. So I do agree that there is no modern MFA method, right? There, it, it, it almost feels like Microsoft is not willing to you know, include it. Now, I also understand why, Nick, you mentioned, there's no guidance update since 2012. Well, you know, how did Active Directory evolve since 2012? Other than the fact that it's running on a new Windows server. It's still the same old thing. There is nothing new to say. There is no new trust type. There is no new architecture type. It's still the same, same old, the same old. tools are still the same. Right, they've just right. they just work on the new new iOS. You're right. It's still Kerberos, and Kerberos is still not the preferred protocol over NTLM on the wire. Um, there you go. Right, I, I, I think they could they and Microsoft could solve um, some of the, the the challenges, but I also think they they have the end game in their heads, and the end game is not any of yeah. the on-prem stuff anymore. Right, right? it's cloud, it's, right? it's a trade-off. Yeah. Yeah, get, get to the cloud at some point. And even though yeah, like, we're still going to be using Windows laptops for the foreseeable future, so and they do support MFA because once you start logging on with Azure AD accounts, you have that, right? It's just that on-prem AD, sorry, intra ID in the cloud. Um, so th that on-prem AD just is you know there to support legacy stuff for a couple more years. And it's more than clear that there's not going to be any substantial changes in terms of security. So the way that, that we have to respond to that and by us you know blue teamers uh, you know, the, the pitchfork guys fighting squad teams um, um uh, that we have to resort to other technologies like privileged access workstations privileged access management solutions also for on-premises mm -hmm. um and i typically get the question like oh do we buy CyberArk and spend so much money and yeah sure you can do that but there are sometimes lightweight manners of doing so like um don't remote desktop into your domain controller from your laptop, right? Um, if you don't have a privileged access workstation, then have you considered using Bastion? Because mm -hmm. guess what? You can build a VPN from the cloud to on-premises and you can actually use that as a some sort of, I don't have to buy a privileged access workstation, but I'm gonna use that to RDP into my domain controller and do the same things. And it isn't that expensive. Um, is it the best solution ever? No. But is it better than what you have today? Absolutely. So sometimes people have to also think outside of the box because this is a scenario which I think is a quick win, but not often used. So I was gonna I was gonna ask you about that. So let's say so we've got we've got privileged access management kind of in place now, and we we understand when when we want to use that to kind of uh, elevate our, our our access to perform these tasks, right? So the next step for us is we want to look at at, at a poll. Um, in my mind, ideally, that machine resets itself every every day or twice a day, right? So that there's, there's no persistence. Nothing can persist if anything gets installed. Um, if we don't have that, let's say we're we're just gonna we're gonna run up a um, you know a VM that's gonna be our poor. Is that still worth considering, or do we have to go whole hog with refresh and all of that? Which you know we we know that the, the mechanics behind getting to a, to, to a point where you have machines rebuilding themselves. It's not all that difficult, but sometimes you're, 
especially you know in our customers' eyes, right? They're so busy keeping the lights on. They're so busy making sure that things are just functioning. They don't mm -hmm. always have the time um, to go and come up with auto, auto rebuild processes for, for, for admin. What are your thoughts on, on that? So uh, the auto rebuild um, for virtual machines, sure, is fairly simple. Uh, good luck trying to do that on a physical device. Um, right, if yeah. you really want to abide to the core principles of a privileged access workstation, it has to be physically separate. Because mm. um, the, the whole tenet about privileged access workstations is not so much that it is a separate device. It is the clean source principle. You start from a clean source in order to administer uh, another device. Um, why is a pod, you know, why does it exist? It's because it's a device that doesn't allow you to do any of the day-to-day -day activities you do on your regular device. No internet access, no email, no stuff, no, no other things. It, it can't run software that hasn't been approved, so you have to have application control and stuff in place because that guarantees the clean source. Now. Take that principle and apply it elsewhere. If you can guarantee a clean source on your regular laptop, if you can do that on an intermediary, whether that is a virtual uh, a virtual device, virtual machine, or bastion, or something of the sorts, I'm good with it, as long as you adhere to the clean source principle. Now, as soon as you use your day-to-day -day device to connect to that clean source, you forfeited the clean source principle because the source that you're starting from may not be clean. Um, so at that point, you're giving up part of the security because a key logger on your device then automatically you know allows you to capture passwords that you type into that other solution um and you know with a decent ddr you should capture most key most key loggers but again there's always that risk now there is the panacea that you're going to try to get to right the hey this is a fully separate physical paw that i drag along the entire day yes i do um, and i have multiple because for some customers we have to have separate ones um and, but I just accept the fact, you know, this is this is my yellow hat that I need. Um, so mm. I'm just going to roll with it. But I understand that some organizations are too small, don't have the budget, don't have the time, nor the willing the, the will to do that. Well, do the next best thing is if that is a virtual machine and it is more secure than what you have today, go for it. Like do that. If it is a non-persistent, great. If it is a persistent one, uh, you know what? I'll accept it provided that there is sufficient security controls and monitoring and everything else in place, because it's still better than what you do today is connect directly from your workstation to that to that server. So, you know, go as far as you can and then work your way back. And, and if it adds, it's worth it. Well, I mean, again, Pareto principle, right? Don't spend right. too much for something that only adds this much. So if we're, I think, so if we want to start summarizing things you can do or should be doing in terms of an order of importance, right? Um, let's let's start at like the, the very beginning. If you don't have um, some sort of XDR system, that's probably one of the first first places you want to go, right? Um, for, for, for like modern modern admin and management in your environment. You want to be able to at least identify and monitor what you're doing. And tightly coupled with that, you want some sort of log aggregation or SIM system where you can actually put all the stuff that you're monitoring so that you can actually easily um, gain insights, gather information, and action things from it, right? I'll, I'll, do you think PIM and poor those types of uh, admin principles go before the sort of EDR and, and SIM? Or would you first put the SIM and EDR stuff in place first? Now, if we're talking about like planning out your program from a budget mm -hmm. perspective, if, if a customer came to you and said, hey, Michael, I've got some money over the next three years I want to spend and I want to get my environment, you know, as good as it can be, right? But I, I need to do it 
sequentially or over some time as a program of work. What, what, what are you going to, how are you going to advise them where to start and, and where to, what's the utopia look like too? So five different phases, identify, protect, detect, respond, <laughs> recover. Um, so you're going to yeah. take a bit, bit of that money and you're going to spend yeah. it in each bucket, right? right. So first of all, um, and, and I'm going to tie it back to the Microsoft technologies, but yeah, sure. EDR, that, that, that's a no brainer. Why? You, it, you kill three birds with one stone. You identify threats through vulnerability management. You protect against it with anti-malware, and you detect um, with um, with the EDR capabilities that's in there. And you also get response to actually for for birds, um, and you get response capabilities built in. That's a no-brainer, right? That's something that you have to do. I don't even require you to put your log files into a sim because if you don't have the people to follow up on those alerts, then why bother in the first place, right? Sure, you could archive them. So you know, if you ever have an incident, the data is there and then you can call in experts to review the data. So there is something to be said, but it wouldn't be the first thing that I tell them, you know, export everything to a sim. Um, if you don't have the capabilities or you don't have a service that does it for you, then there is not as much value in there than other stuff. Um, what I also would tell them is, do tiered administration, but you know, don't go full blown if if that's too far. At the very least, use two different accounts. Um, mm -hmm. Make sure that administrative accounts are protected with the best possible the, the, the method of authentication, which means for global admins, use a FIDO key, and if you you can do it differently, then fall back to regular MFA. But you know, don't go plain password stuff um, unless there is no other solution. Um, you know, implement some sort of PAW. Again, Bastion is a great way of doing stuff, and it's cheap. And and I mean, sure, it, it'll cost you a little bit, but it's a it's a fairly quick win. Um, and just adhere to some of the you know general best practices. I'm not asking like BIM, for instance. What we see is then okay, sure, yeah, uh, and I want an automatic approval process. Wow, okay, so you you just had PIM for a global admin that allows you to elevate your privileges. It, it's just, you know, if, if I get your account, which has the eligibility to a global admin, but you're do, you don't require approval, then, you know, you're just adding one click to activate role. Um, sure, I have to type in something. The reason why you do that is not just to have that the automatic approval, I don't have a problem with it. If you have a SOC that monitors activations and knows mm, this is one that shouldn't have happened, then PIM adds a lot of value. If you add, um, not the justifications, but the approvals. PIM can add a lot of value, but it takes away agility, right? Because uh, to, to the point we, we were talking about earlier, hey, I want to make a change. Well, you know, I have to request global admin and someone needs to approve. It's going to take a day. You kind of lose agility. So you have to have a break loss procedure where you can actually bypass PIM and stuff. So there's a lot of consequences. Um, so BIM wouldn't be the one thing that I'm like, yeah, you have to. Sure, you know, if you can, if you've got the licenses, please do. I mean, because you know, it doesn't take a lot of time to to activate it. But I don't think that that is going to make the biggest impact of all to your security posture. So, the the basic stuff, password hygiene, um, decent configuration, obviously, of of everything on prem and in the cloud, um, some sort of privileged access workstation, tiered administration, so use a separate admin account. I, I can't say it enough. Those are the things that I would absolutely focus on first. And I like the idea of FIDO for global admins, right? I, I think if you're doing it right, you have very, very few people in your global admins group. So, you know, buying five FIDO keys is not going to break the bank. And um, and it's, it's, a, it's a really good way to, to, to make sure that your tenant doesn't get hijacked or, or whatever. So um, I think that's really practical, really, really good, uh, really, really good advice. Um, now, I know you've got a runoff and... 
update uh, your book. You've got a few pages to go and update some naming on. <laughs> but before we let you go, um, is there anything that uh, you want to plug? How can folks get hold of you? Those people who, and I can't imagine anyone, but if there's anyone who doesn't already follow you on socials or anything like that, how can folks find you and, and, and get hold of you? So I'm just going to assume that this is pointing to my Twitter handle. Um, so yes. that's where you can, for instance, reach me. Um, but obviously the 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 book. Um, it's a community project where um, we write about M365 security. Yes, we will update that Azure AD is going to be replaced by Intro ID. But we're also going to add the other M365 stuff. Private access, internet access is going to make its way into that book. Um, is it the most 100% mile deep, two miles deep into the technology? Impossible if you want to cover the entire M365 Defender stack. We go half a mile deep. Um, there are additional books that can supplement if you want to go into one topic, one mile deep. Um, but I, I think anyone who is adamant about M365 security will find value in that book also because it is updated once a month, about once a month. Yes. I would agree. And folks, yeah, we'll put some links in the show notes, but uh, um, almost 800 pages or a little over 800 pages, I think now. Um, yep. And and been updated very actively for the last three years, I think, something like that. I mean, you know, when you guys launched in like 2020, right? So it's, it's by now, it's the established and the authoritative manual for all things uh, Microsoft security and M365. So if you have an interest in security, or even if you don't and you work in the space, it's very, very good reading. So we'll make sure to share the notes or share the links uh, for you there, Mike. Thanks. Well, I think then with that, um, if uh, it's, yeah, I think it's uh, time to say goodbye for another episode. Um, Nick, any closing thoughts from you? It's been a good show. And as much as we talk technology, we can't get away from good process and I don't want to open up a, another can of worms, but we, we want to, to make sure that we make the point that as much as particular technologies solve particular problems, that we want to have good process that wraps up all of those or, or the, the, they're folded into at least. And, and Michael alluded to that in terms of the, the, the five steps and there is so much good process. So I, I would say that if you are going to uh, look at purchasing Michael's book, and you should, don't just look at it as how do I use a set of tools, but also how do I wrap it into a process? If I don't have a process, it'll give me one to start off with. So, so shameless plug for the book, Michael. Uh, well, I'm not sure if that's shameless because I'm going to add one more plug, um, um, not for myself this time, uh -huh. but um, to the point you just made about the process, the um, zero trust guidance that you've mm. up writing right now is right up that alley. It, it, it's not so much about the technology itself because that's you know how you build it. It's more the how you do it, right? The entire process end-to-end -end that you've written as I think it's, it's, it's super valuable because it, it really gives you that process. How do I go about of going from here to there in that entire zero trust? So um, kudos because that is really good guidance. Um, and more of that is needed because people lack process and a framework and stuff. Well, we, we are writing about breach at the moment, and I think you'll, you'll enjoy, um, I'm not allowed to talk about it too much yet, but I think you'll enjoy what's coming out in the breach article. We did write extensively about how to improve your security posture, which is either to get from nothing to something or from something to something better. And 
it's uh, it's been a real labor of love over the the, the last nearly few years to, to get to this point. It is a very evolving space, and one of the things we realize in writing in this space, and it's it's never done, and we do need great process and we need great tools and a tool is not a process and a process is not a tool so yes there's a happy marriage in very much in, in between there agreed awesome. i hear the violins in the background chris i think we need to end the show <laughs> you're going to get one of those you know those stage hooks will just yes. come in from the from the side and then you won't see you don't get me started <laughs> um Mike, thanks for your time. Guys, uh, Nick, always awesome to see you. Um, and uh, we'll catch you again. Likewise, guys. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Bye. Hey, everyone. Before you go, we just wanted to say thank you for listening. We really enjoy putting this podcast together for you every two weeks. Please visit us at thearchitects.cloud or alternatively drop us a tweet. We'd love to hear what you have to say. At the Cloud Arc.